All right, grab your notes and your Bibles and open up to the book of John. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 10 again this week. I want to continue to talk to you guys about the word of the Lord for 2018. He is our I am God, our present tense. That's what we've already been talking about this morning, right? He's our present tense God. And we've been studying the seven I am statements of Jesus found in the book of John, the different metaphors that he uses to describe to us who he is in our present tense lives. And we're going to, this morning, isn't God cool the way he sets things? I would love to tell you guys that I am this structured as a preacher that I planned this to fall this way. But if I did that, I would be lying. So I'm not going to lie, not here at this moment anyways, and I'm trying not to anytime, right? But I, um, as I sat down this week and I thought, well, I really want to share something in alignment with the, the time and season we're in. And I looked at where I was in this study and lo and behold, we're going to be talking about the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. So we're going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and what that's about this morning. And would you, would you happen to know what the next I am statement is in the book of John? I am the resurrection. So we'll be there next Sunday morning. God is really cool when he sets you up like that. How many of you ever had God do that in your life? He made you look good and it had nothing to do with you, right? Isn't that awesome? So we're going to continue this morning in John chapter 10. We've been studying that Jesus is our bread We've studied that he's our light, we've, we've talked about how he is our door of access, and we also, last week, began to talk about how he is our good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And we're going to expand on that. Last week, we couldn't get past the word good. And honestly, we could stay on that theme from now till the end of, the end of time and not exhaust the theme that God is good, because God is good to me, exactly. So we're John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says the I am statement. I am the good shepherd. Now notice what he says. The good shepherd, what does he do? Yes, sacrifices or lays down his life for the sheep. We're going to see that phrase repeated several times. When Jesus wants to describe to us what a good shepherd looks like. This is the phrase that he repeats over and over. How many know if Jesus repeats something, he's not doing that because he's trying to figure out what he's going to say next. That's what, that's what I do, right? But Jesus, when he is repeating something, he's really wanting to get drive a point home to us. This is who I am. If you want to know what a good shepherd looks like, a good shepherd, and remember, he is contrasting who he is against the Pharisees who are in the crowd with him right then, and against those who, uh, not only the Pharisees, but those religious leaders and the, the synagogue leaders and the Sadducees who he calls thieves and robbers who were stealing from his people. And so he's saying, I'm good in contrast to that, and I'm good because of this. Here's what I look like. I lay my life down for the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned about the sheep. I am, he says it again, the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and what does he say again? I what? 
I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I what? I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me. I want you to notice that. We're not going to spend time on that so much this morning. But I do want to point out that the crucifixion of Jesus, which is what Jesus is beginning to speak to right here in this moment. He's preparing them. He does that all along the way. But he's saying, this is the kind of shepherd I am. And I lay down my life. No one takes my life from me. In other words, Jesus wasn't killed. Jesus laid down his life. He gave it willingly, right? He wasn't killed because the Pharisees were mad and, and the, the devil had a, had a plan and was angry. All of those things were true. But Jesus could have called a legion of angels to stop the thing, right? But instead he chooses to lay down his life. This is my own choice is what he's saying. No one has taken it away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. I want you to write this in your notes. Our good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Again, the picture that we've been studying in this, in this series, especially the last couple of weeks as we talked about the shepherd and the door, is that the shepherd is also the door and he would be the one in the doorway of the sheepfold that would lay down at night in order to keep the wolf from getting in and to keep the sheep from getting out, right? He lays down in that place and puts his life, and that's the context of this statement. He's putting his life on the line as a shepherd to protect his sheep from the wolf. And by the way, they're his sheep. I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that. And as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times that has comforted me. You aren't my sheep. You aren't Tana's sheep. He's the good shepherd, and our job is to get you hooked on him right? He is the good shepherd and he's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Now the context of this again is there are wolves and there are thieves. We know he's talking about the Pharisees, but he's also talking about the spirit behind the Pharisees. We, we studied that last week. He lays down his life to protect the sheep from the wolves and from the thieves and from the robbers. I say it this way in your notes. Jesus lays down his life to save us from the destroyer. Jesus lays down his life to protect us. He gives his life on the cross because that's what we're talking about this morning. He lays down his life on the cross to protect us from the destroyer. In fact, later on when John writes the little Johns, just to make it clear why Jesus came. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, the reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. That's good news, isn't it? To undo, <laughs> you know, I love that John didn't say, for this reason, the Son of God was manifested that he might tame the devil. Aren't you glad that it doesn't say that? That he might calm down or hold at bay 
the works of the devil. No, he says this is the reason Jesus came, to undo what he's done. In fact, justice, the, a real great biblical definition of justice is making wrong things right. Our God is just in that he undoes the work of the destroyer. His heart was to destroy what was destroying us when we chose to align with the destroyer. He could have just said, well, you made your bed, you lie in it. Some of our parents said things like that, right? You made your bed, you lie in it. He says, no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come, come in and crawl in the middle of that mess, and I'm going to undo the mess that he's done to your life, even though you agreed to a big portion of it. How I many know most of the stuff in our life? <laughs> I'll, I'll just speak for me. I won't speak for you guys. Most of the, the crazy stuff in my life, choices I made. And still Jesus says, you know what? I'm coming into that. And I am going to destroy the works of the destroyer. Hebrews 2.14 says, Now since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. Why? So that through his death, laying his life down, he might destroy the one, not just his works. Listen to that word right there. Holman Christian Standard Bible is one of the most accurate English translation. New American Standard, Holman Christian, these are a couple of the top, most reliable English translations. And this is a great what he's saying here. This is powerful. He, through his death, he went into death as, as a person. That's the big deal. As not just God, but God in the flesh. He went into death the most destructive, the most destructive force that was released into the world through our alignment with the lying enemy, he went into that place called death so that he could destroy the one who was holding at that point the power of death. And in case you're wondering, he says, I'm talking about the devil, right? He came not to tame him, not just to hold him at bay, not just to calm down what was going on and to kind of get things a little bit more peaceful. Jesus isn't a peacekeeper, he's a peacemaker. And so the God of peace went into death, destroying him who had the power of death, and ultimately, Romans 16, 20 says, he's going to crush him under our feet. Oh my goodness, that's, that's just too good, isn't it? Colossians 2, Paul expands on this idea. He said, Jesus, here's what happened on the cross. Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them their every weapon. You see that? Stripping away from them their every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Right? He's the accuser. And that's where he tries to get us to align with him through accusation and condemnation. Paul's saying, Jesus made a public spectacle of him, stripped him of all of his authority and power to accuse us. There's nothing he can accuse us with because the blood of Jesus has canceled everything that was spoken and written against us. Man, nothing, 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 nothing. And by the power of the cross... Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. Oh, that is so good, isn't it? 
Oh, Jesus went into the, went, the, the devil took Jesus into hell for three days and beat up on him for a while. But then Jesus, it was kind of, kind of like, a, we used to call it WWF. What's the wrestling, what do they call it now? What? Somebody give it to me. Come on. What's it called? WWE? So you don't know anything about it. I know, Levi, you'd never watch such a thing. I understand. I don't know a thing about it. Don't understand. Don't know a thing about it. But I remember back in, I used to watch wrestling back, way back in the 80s when I was growing up. And it always went the same way. The guy's getting beat up, beat up, beat up, beat up. And finally, he just somehow summons the strength to rise up. And boom, he starts punching and throwing. And all of a sudden, the guy that was beating him up, he ri- I wonder if we picture the death of Jesus like that. He's getting pummeled, pummeled, pummeled. No, please understand. This was absolutely in his heart to go into the depth of what was destroying us, not just so he could get beat up. He went there to do the beating up. He went there to set us free. He went to the darkest place called death and Sheol and the grave and hell. And he went there to set us free and he led captivity captive. The enemy was his captive. He was never the devil's captive. Never. He just did a little secret agent trick. Went in acting like that, right? But everything he was doing was undoing. Everything he did. Stripes on his back wasn't undoing Jesus. It was undoing our sickness. Come on, somebody. Every nail driven into his hands, the blood that, that, that came from his brow, all of it was undoing what had been undoing us. It wasn't the undoing of Jesus. It was the undoing of the first Adam. And it was the undoing of the powers of death, hell, and the grave. So here's what we're going to say this morning to the devil. Talk to the palm. It's Palm Sunday, right? Talk to the palm, devil, right? So the thing I want to share about that, because as I lean into that, it can sound like Jesus came, and the whole reason he came was he had to clean something up, and he had to fix something, right? But I want us to understand this morning in your notes that Jesus lays down his life on the cross, not in the context of a plan B, but this was always plan A. This was always plan A. In in other words, in your notes, the devil isn't the motivation for Jesus' crucifixion. He doesn't go to the cross because he had to figure out a way to deal with the devil. That's a consequence of what he does. The devil's dealt with. But there's something bigger going on here. It's not a reaction to what the enemy's doing. Always plan A. Ephesians chapter 1 says this in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, uh uh-oh, when? Before the foundation of the world. Oh, man. So Jesus is not a footnote to Adam. If anything, Adam's the footnote, right? Adam's the comma in the story. The story is not a holy God created mankind, mankind sinned, so God had to do something about it. The story is, Father, Son, and Spirit say, we will have a people that we can love, and we will bring them inside of this circle. 
We will adopt them. Not just they'll be a people that we can love and they'll adore us from a distance. No, see this again. He chose us where? In Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world that we would be homely and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. And I don't have time to teach on it this morning. I've done it before. I have a sermon on election that I did a couple of years ago. The us in this is everybody. The us in this is not like a few chosen people that are the elect. Everybody is included. You literally have to say no to his yes. There aren't a few people that Jesus has said yes to. Jesus has said yes to everybody. Otherwise, the first Adam was more powerful than the second one. Are you with me? The first Adam included the whole human race. But the second Adam, he's just got a few people that he's including. So the the last Adam is more powerful than the first. And he swallows up everything that the first Adam did. You can't make Jesus say yes to you by praying a prayer. He's already said yes. Your prayer is saying yes to his yes. He's already said yes to you. He said yes to me. Okay, okay, I gotta keep going. There's a lot of stuff to cover here. Okay. He predestined us, us, all of us, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Paul, in 2 Timothy 1.9, same writer, says this to his son Timothy, to Pastor Timothy. He's wanting Timothy to understand, I mean, the, the, how big this message is. He says, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Plan A. You are plan A. Your being with him is plan A. Let me, let me spell it out a little clearer in your notes. Plan A, here's what it is. Our inclusion in the family life of Papa, Son, and Holy Spirit. This has always been plan A. That we would be on the inside of that circle that we as Christians call the Trinity. That we would actually live there. And we would know Jesus with the same knowing that he has with his Father. Sometimes we think about Jesus saved us and he gives us eternal life. That's accurate, but we think of it as, so he saved me and he gave me eternal life and that means I'm going to heaven. No, heaven is a byproduct. Heaven is something included in eternal life. But Jesus actually tells us what eternal life is in John 17, 3 in your notes. This is eternal life that they may know you. (laughs) Papa, this is the eternal life I'm bringing the planet into. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The knowing of God, the knowing of God is eternal. David says it this way, whom have I in heaven but you? Heaven is great, and I'm glad I'm going there. How about you guys? I mean, that's really cool. I really am. I'm not trying to downplay. I'm really glad I'm going to heaven, and I'm glad I'm not going to hell. That's awesome. But the bigger story is this God before the creation of the world included us, and his determination was, and the only way we could get inside of that circle of the Trinity, otherwise we would have admired it from afar, was for one of the members of that family to come into this world and to become one of us 
and then ultimately ascend to the right hand of the Father and catch us up with him forever. There is a God-man in the center of that circle. You with me? So there is a human being forever in the center now of the Trinity because of what Jesus did, not only in his death and burial, but also in his ascension with the Father. When, when Jesus talks about, in verse, back in, in chapter 10, in, in your Bibles, verse 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd and I know. See, even in, in John 10, he's starting to unpack this for them. He's letting them know the, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep to unlock the knowing. I know my own and my own know me. And here's how he defines that kind of knowing. Even as my papa knows me, and I know my papa, and I lay my, down, my life down for the sheep so that they can come in. <laughs> we don't just have a personal relationship with Jesus. We've been brought into Jesus' relationship with his papa. Goodness, that's good news, isn't it? This really is a gospel. It really is good news. He says, this is the level of knowing I'm talking about. I know them and they know me like Papa knows me and I know Papa. Ah, that's good news for us. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. So crucifixion's a part of the process of coming to this point of the taking the life back up again, which we'll talk more about next week. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. What's he talking about? You can write it in your notes. I've already said it. Our shepherd ascended to bring us inside the circle of the Trinity. That is the biggest news that has ever hit this planet. I mean, he died and rose again and ascended so that we would be included in his, his relationship, his knowing of, of the Father. The good news in your notes is not that we can receive Jesus into our lives, but that he has brought us into his family life. When we share the gospel, that's what we say. Jesus did it. It is finished. Simply say yes to his yes. Simply say, and that's what happens. Faith comes alive on the inside of us. Faith awakens on the inside of us. And we are connected with the, our born again experience didn't just happen when we walked down an aisle and prayed a prayer. Our born again experience is, is on something much more firm than that. Our born again experience is rooted in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus otherwise did I pray it right enough did I say it right did it really stick I don't know if that conversion stuck have you ever heard anyone say stuff like that I'm not sure if the conversion really stuck we aren't the one making sure the conversion sticks the God who saved us also keeps us and our faith is ignited. Faith is important. It is extremely important because experientially then we get to enjoy what Jesus did. We say yes to his yes and respond to him. Oh my goodness, this is so good. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a great time. Okay. I got to keep going. So he lays his life down for the sheep 
Secondly, our good shepherd lays his life down as his sheep. See, that's an incredible thing. In this story, he's not just the shepherd, he's also the sheep. That's the bigger picture of the New Testament, right? He's the high priest and the lamb at the same time. <laughs> I feel like my dad right now. That's what my dad would do right now. I feel like coming on. The covenants in the Old Testament were between God and a person, right? His covenants were with, with mankind. And the covenant of Moses broken over and over and over and over and over again. But in the new covenant, <laughs> and it's much like in the, in the covenant with Abraham, God puts Abraham to sleep, right? He's like, you're going to mess this up, so I'm just going to go ahead and put you to sleep. In the New Testament, God makes a covenant with himself. God the Father is in covenant with the God-man as us, Christ Jesus. That's how firm our salvation is. It does not rest on us. It is resting 100% on what he has accomplished on our behalf. When we know that, our faith awakens and it produces life transformation in us. He lays down his life as his sheep. He doesn't just lay down his life to save us from the devil. In your notes, Jesus lays down his life to save us from us. <laughs> you know that word life there? Um, again, sometimes we miss things in our English translation because when Jesus says in John 10, you know, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, I've come that you have, have life. He uses the word Zoe. That's the word for God life, the God kind of life. That's what I want. But when he says I lay down my life, there, you can't crucify Zoe. Zoe can't die. God life cannot cease to exist, right? So he doesn't say, I lay down the Zoe. He says, I lay down suki or suke. That Greek word means soul. It's a whole different, whole different word, right? He said, I'm laying down my humanity. I am taking humanity as God. God, I am taking humanity that is broken to the cross so that I can undo everything that that initial decision of Adam brought into this world. Oh my goodness. This might be my favorite sermon I've ever preached. I think that every week though. Soul. His life he's talking about is his soul life. How does he do that? He, one of the things he does, there's a lot to that, but he fully enters into in his soul, in his mind, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. In his mind, in his soul, he totally and fully identifies with us, and he 100% enters into our darkened, alienated, wrong-headed thinking so that he can save our souls. He doesn't just come to awaken our spirit he also comes to save our minds. Because that's where we got messed up. When we believed the lies. And he, he does that on the cross, and you can see it clearly. He quotes Psalm chapter 22. Remember, he's on the cross, and he says, you can see it in your notes, my God, or on the screen, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? For years I misinterpreted that. I thought at this point the father turned his back on the son. Part of what Jesus does in John 10 is says, my father loves me because I'm going to the cross to lay down my life to walk out this plan. My father loves me. You guys, you're all going to leave me, but not my father. In fact, Jesus says that in another place. You will all depart from me. You will not, none of you will be here for me, but my father, my father, he is with me. In fact, Paul says it later, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He didn't turn his back on Christ. He didn't have to turn his back on Christ to save us. That's the idea that salvation is saving us from God. Oh, man, that's what shook me loose a few years ago. I thought salvation was saving me from God. <laughs> I thought salvation was Jesus going to the cross, changing the Father's mind about me. I wouldn't have said that. You with me, guys? And why did I think that? Because Psalm 22 says... My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh my God, I cry day to you, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. When Jesus says Psalm 22, everybody in Israel knows the whole psalm. Psalm 22, 23, 24, they're messianic psalms. These are the, some of the, of course, psalms is the top 150 billboard, right? Top songs in Israel. But these are three of the top ones. So when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everybody knows the whole psalm. Just like if I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he makes me, yeah, see, you know it, right? These guys knew Psalm 22. They also knew that it didn't stop at verse 2. In verse 24, it says, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried for help, he heard. What does Jesus do? He enters into the alienation, our mind, our dark mind. He feels that alienation that we feel when we believe the lie that we're separated. When we believe the lie, he enters into that fully, that dark and alienated mind and thinking. He takes that soul to the cross and he subjects his own soul to the same feeling of alienation that we have when we say, where are you, God? Like David does, right? Where are you, God? Where are you? Don't you? I love this about David. He starts in Psalm 22, where are you? Why have you left me? And by the end of Psalm 22, he's like, oh my gosh, I forgot. You haven't left me. Right? You didn't hide your face from me. I thought it. I felt it. I verbalized it. Jesus says, I'm alien. I'm, 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 I am aligning with or I am, I am taking on your alienated thinking right now. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I love what Baxter Kruger says in your notes. Jesus Christ did not go to the cross to change the Father. He went to the cross to change us. <laughs> if I think he went to the cross to change the Father's mind, I'm always going to be hiding behind Jesus when I get to heaven. Because if I'm ever, he sees me through the rose-colored stained glass blood of Jesus, and if I'm ever outside and from behind Jesus, the Father's going to zap me. That means we have a distorted, alienated, darkened picture of the Father. And my friends, that's what Jesus took to the cross. To set us free, to know our Papa who loves us with every fiber of who he is, who from the, you were his plan A from before eternity to include you 
in Christ. The Father took us, or took Jesus. He was with Jesus on the cross, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He was with Jesus in Christ, reconciling us, changing us by taking the old, darkened, alienating, messed up selves of us to the grave, to the cross and into the grave, so that he could bring us up out of the grave. We don't have to wait till next Sunday to be resurrected. We already were 2,000 years ago. And we are at the right hand of the Father inside the circle of that family life. There's no devil in hell that can get you out of that circle. There's nobody that can pull you out of that circle. You are there because he put you there and he's not gonna kick out who he put there, amen? That's enough preaching, let's stand up, all right. <laughs> oh, I love it, I love the gospel. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ because, oh my gosh, well, there's a hundred reasons, but I love the gospel of Jesus Christ because I myself have been set free by that gospel. I love that gospel not because I need something to preach, but because I was included. You were included. Everybody in this room was included. The beautiful thing about Jesus you were included, he never forces you to draw on or to enjoy that inclusion. You can say no to his yes and keep living in your darkened, alienated, messed up self world. You could do that for eternity if you want to. But why? Why would you want? He loves you enough that he would allow you to live in the darkness of your own mind and your own messed up thinking. He would allow you to live. C.S. Lewis says, the door to hell is locked from the inside. What a thought, huh? He would allow you to and I to live in hell now if we want to. But why would we want to? when he's already included you and I, that's the gospel. That is the pure gospel that Paul preached and it's why people were mad at him, huh? But why do we get so mad about the good news? Let's just have a party and celebrate that we're included, amen? Thank you, Jesus. Oh. If you're here this morning and you have not said yes to his yes, raise your hand right now and say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus today. I don't want to live in my own darkened, messed up ways of thinking anymore. If you want to say yes to his yes this morning, slip your hand up real high if that's you. Anyone need to do that today before you leave? So Jesus, <laughs> I feel like all that I can do today is stand with my mouth open in awe and just say thank you. Thank you for laying down your life as me. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe you want to verbalize that with your own words this morning in your own way. Thank you for including me and not waiting for me to vote on it. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that I am safe in your arms. Thank you that I'm brought in to the knowledge that you have of your Papa. And I'm set free from my old ways of thinking. Out of the darkness, into the light. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Come on, let's give him the praise this morning. He did it. He 